we looked at what Gitpod was doing and we said, well, that's cool. But what's the point? Because why would I replace my laptop with this? Uh, yeah, it's cool because you get that, that, that thing online. But to me, that's not the crux. The crux is that we need to provide some type of security on top of this. Let's try to get all this protection mechanism that you will get, you know, this place that companies are deploying to protect the data and IT efficiency that is provided by these online containers. And let's try to get the best of both of this is what we're doing. That was Laurent Belmilly, a cybersecurity expert with a PhD, talking about what the future of development environments could be. Laurent was born in Switzerland but is truly a global citizen, having lived in many places like New York and Tokyo. Laurent's cybersecurity journey started with IBM before he left to found his own company, Strong Code. Strong Code was a startup that worked on preventing people to be able to reverse engineer compiled applications by obfuscating and scrambling the source code. That startup was actually acquired by Snapchat, who Laurent worked for briefly, before he left to create his own company again, this time Strong Network. Strong Network is a cloud IDE, but also so much more. It's rethinking secure development environments for the modern era. In this episode, we get to sit down with Laurent and talk about development environments how it's moving to the cloud, and what are the security risks of this. But before we get into that, it's time now to have a look at our breach of the week. In the theme of development companies, today's breach we're looking at is Atlassian. Because on Friday the 17th of February, Atlassian had reportedly suffered a fairly significant breach due to a third party integration. First reported on by CyberScoop, employee credentials were stolen that gave access to a third party, in this case, Envoy. Now, what is apparent is that all the data that was breached is actually from Atlassian's own employees. Atlassian has claimed to have about 8,000 employees, although the breach has said to be concerning 13,000 different people. This may be because Atlassian actually has a lot more people working for them, or the more likely scenario is that it contains records of employees that are no longer working with the company. So how does all this actually happen? Well, employee credentials are used all the time by attackers, and there's numerous ways which they can get them. Of course, the favorite is through a phishing campaign, which still is on trend even in 2023. But there's also different ways that you can obtain a user's employee credential. The dark web and more recently dark telegram channels are a favorite for attackers to be able to sell and also buy these types of credentials. This has been an interesting separation of attackers in recent years. You have some attackers that specializes in targeting campaigns like phishing to try and find employee credentials. They will also search on public resources like Docker images, other containers, or through source code to be able to obtain this information. And then if they don't want to use it, they can on-sell it to a new level of hackers who specializes in exploiting specific companies. This marketplace isn't entirely new. 
but it's definitely growing and could possibly have been how initial access was gained in here. But it does show the trend in hacking activity that we're on right now. And that is that credentials are nearly used in all attacks, whether they're for initial access, whether they're used to elevate privileges. And the other thing we know is that developer accounts for developer tooling are becoming increasingly hot targets. This is because developers, DevOps teams, and other engineers are really the gatekeeper to the information that the attackers want. So what does this mean for Atlassian? The biggest risk for Atlassian is that the attackers use this employee information to launch more sophisticated spear phishing and phishing campaigns on their employees to try and gain access deeper into their systems. At the moment, that seems fairly unlikely. The reason being that the attacker has already announced that the breach has been made, something that is typically done once an attacker has really leveraged as far as they can go with the resources, time, or really commitment that they have. The hacking group in question here named SageSect seems to me reminiscent of other hacking groups like Lapsus with a younger following where the main goal seems to be notoriety rather than financial benefit. But the one thing that we can all learn from these types of attacks is that we need to start implementing areas of zero trust around all segments of our infrastructure and third-party services. This includes adding multi-factor authentication, limiting IP addresses and access where possible. And of course, it may seem like an early 2000s techniques, but using firewalls. But even then, we can't always be certain that our employees would do the right thing. That is why this conversation with Laurent today is on such a good topic. We're going to talk about securing the modern development environment. We're used to our integrated development environments, IDEs like Visual Studio Code or Atom, that combined various tools that allowed developers to do their tasks in a more efficient way. But like all things moving to the cloud and out of our control, IDEs are also heading that way. Big names like GitHub have launched their cloud IDEs like GitHub Codespaces, as well as various other vendors. But what does this mean for security? Well, Laurent is working on a lot more than just a cloud IDE. Strong Network is looking at how they can make the entire development environment completely secure and also remote. Suitable for a modern startup where, let's face it, we're all continuing to be remote and outside a lot of the parameters that organizations can control. So without further ado, here is the conversation between myself, Laurent Belmelli, and Dwayne McDaniel. Laurent, welcome to the show. I, I really want to dive straight into the topic today. And I know Dwayne has some questions who's here with me as well, but I want to kick things off. Let's start with cloud IDE, so cloud integrated development environments. That's the idea that we're shifting our development process online through a browser. Uh, how has this changed in general and how is this changing security for developers? Okay, well, first let's, let's, uh, let's explain to you simply what a cloud IDE is. It's simply basically uh, an IDE that will run in the browser, but I think this is really limiting uh, to describing really the solution that uh, we and other vendors are providing, right? If you look at what uh, 
our solution compared to what uh, GitHub Codespaces or Gitpod or Coder of the people are providing is really is more than a cloud ID. It's really a container, a set of a way to manage containers online, right? So let's say you you everybody's flying DevOps today uh, as a, perhaps the best in breed process to run your development uh, process, application process, right? And um, for that matter, basically, you need to have an efficient way to manage containers. And these containers, you know, I mean, if you're a coder, you know, I'm a coder myself. So, I mean, initially, you know, you would install Docker on your on your computer and you will create some files. You will build the container, you run the container locally. And this is, I mean, the benefit is that you can isolate dependencies for your development environment. This is really the, the key of uh, benefit of uh, such a technology. But, but a better way to do this, instead of managing these containers on your laptop, you can actually put them online and accessing them remotely, right? So what's the benefit of this? First of all, that this actually less, you know, like uh, uh, messing around with like doing Docker build or run and all this local commands and so on like that. And uh, the second thing is that instead of having all this uh, data on your computer, it will be online. And this additional benefit that I'm not going to go too much in detail right now, but like lots of benefit that will come. One of them is so from a security standpoint is also to remove the data from the developer's laptop to put it online. So first of all, you need to put this thing online, and then you need to access the container with a way to author information inside the container. And in this case, it will be source code, right? Source code will be uh, the information that will be authored by the developer inside the container, and it will be, you know, basically run inside the container in order to create your application. So, so the first step is to put these containers online, and this is what you know I mentioned. These other vendors are doing. They put this online like we do. And as usually it will be a Kubernetes application that will run on some cloud and you have like a way to manage those containers. And then the cloud IDE, this is where we come to that cloud IDE, will be basically the mechanism to access this container remotely and to author information. But there's alternatives to this as well. For instance, what you can do, you can say, well, let me actually use my local IDE, not a cloud IDE, and have an SSH connection that would connect to that, that container online. And that that is referred to as like a remote development. This actually you can, if you look at VS Code, you can Google VS Code remote development and you can see actually a local VS Code actually is enabled to actually create that SSH connection and that will give you access and let you author information directly in that container to get the benefit that we mentioned before. If you look at JetBrain, they have this, um, uh, this mechanism called uh, gateway, which is exactly that same principle, right? Basically, the, the ID would be local, but you would give you um, connections to uh, remote containers, and, and you would get that benefit. So overall, uh, when you talk about cloud IE, I think it's very liberating because it's really more about a platform to manage containers, right? But this is just the beginning. So, so the first thing, the first step is doing doing this, that you basically you do this because you want to accelerate your DevOps process. You, you basically, by this, what you want to do is that you want to take these containers, uh, and sometimes I think a good way to name that is CDE. It stands for Containerized Development Environments, okay? And you take these CDEs and you work into them, you work directly inside these CDEs with a, your cloud IDE, and then it will be easier to bring these containers into testing, into release and production. So what you want to do is what you want to basically diminish the, the friction across all these 
you know, this like this infinity sign, which is which is you know, one good way to represent the DevOps process. And what you want to do is to limit the friction uh, across the stages for your containers so that you can basically replicate the environment that you have for development into testing, into production. So you you know you have fewer you have fewer bugs, you have fewer like uh, uh, changes uh, to do. So that's the first step. So the first thing, where well, we started that adventure like two years ago with uh, Michael from Osrenko, uh, we looked at what Gitpod was doing and said, well, that's cool, but what's the point? Because why would I replace my laptop for this? Uh, yeah, it's cool because you get that, that, that thing online, but to me, that's not the crux. The crux is that uh, we need to provide some type of security on top of this, because if you want to deploy this uh, as, as a mechanism for, uh, you know, managing your developers and look at what, what would be the typical alternative that you would have in a company, right? It would be like a VDI, it would be like a, a desktop as a service and all this, all this mechanism, they provide some kind of security regarding like data protection, right? They will provide some kind of data protection mechanism that say, okay, uh, I'm actually can onboard my developers quickly on this type of infrastructure, but I, I, my goal is to do this because I want to protect my data. Right, and guess what? Oh yeah, it aligns with DevOps, so it's really cooler because we get efficiency. But there's really uh, uh, an argument there to uh, uh, you know do this for the, for the sake of protecting your data. So this is where basically we come in, right? So we said, okay, let's look at what VDI is doing and, and DAS and all these things in like AWS workspaces. Let's look at GitHub code spaces. Code and we are doing, and let's do something in between. Let's do something in the middle. Let's try to get all this protection mechanism that you will get uh, from from this you know this place that companies are deploying to protect the data and IT efficiency that is provided by these online containers. And let's try to get the best of both worlds. This is what we're doing. That's that's a lot to unpack there, uh, but thank you very much for all the work on this. No, 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 this is absolutely fine. Um, it just. Uh, one of the big things I've seen from the adoption of things like code spaces and, and Gitpod is people chasing that forever dream of stop the problem of it worked on my machine. I mean, that was the idea with Docker is, hey, we'll just ship your machine. Um, and now we've moved that into the cloud uh, somewhat. Um, but it's interesting to hear a security perspective on that. Um, when I think of security for these environments, I'm more thinking from the developer's seat, like, um, and especially Git Guardian, uh, thinking about um, secrets management throughout that process. But it's interesting to hear you talk on the uh, data security element. So, what specifically are you doing on top of just the containerization? Yeah, I, absolutely. So, 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 and this is really good because uh, it's very important to differentiate uh, code security from what we do, which is really infrastructure security. So, so this is where basically there's an interesting decoupling that happens between the hardware that is used to run your DevOps process and basically the, you know, the, 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 the environments that basically uh, needs to, to be uh, enabled in order for the, the developers to, to create their applications. So what we don't do is code security. We don't basically, you know, and, and often like if you look at DevSecOps, Right, is this often referred to practices for code security, removing what Git Guardian is doing, basically removing like token from from your code, making sure that you know you have uh, you have like uh, your code is. I mean, like many other vendors, like for instance, to make sure that the code is uh, 
uh, it doesn't have vulnerabilities and, and this type of things. So here we're really talking about infrastructure security. So what do you need? You need basically, first of all, to um, uh, well, data removing the locate. I mean, removing data from the developer laptops is basically something that is given by design by such a solution. But then you can see what BDI and, and DAS is doing, which is data prevention. So then you would basically need to uh, prevent data exfiltration uh, or active data exfiltration, or like uh, you know, it could be. Uh, not necessarily malicious, right? But it can also be like in tax switches that would come from a malware or something like that. So you need to prevent that type of thing. You need to control the network, like you would do with some firewall uh, rules that you would get uh, if you look at um, what you can do on a, on a cloud provider, like you look at uh, uh, what Google can do with uh, Google uh, Workstation, right? Which is something extremely similar, not exactly the same as Gitpod and 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 code and code. Of code spaces, right? But in plus, basically, they can control the network because they have this uh, uh, um, this mechanism that that lets you define firewall rules, which is exactly what we do as well, right? So we add basically this type of security, right? And other securities, basically, that will allow you to control data flow. But what I always give the the references that the data in, data out. What you allow to put in, what you allow to take out, and this is now it becomes use case specific. Like if, if my customers are developing application that, you know, that basically they don't want people to be able to extract any of the code or have any copy of the code or even like having a, the binary locally on, on the laptop, then this is data out. You have to prevent this type of, uh, this type of information to leak out of the container. And data in, well, this is mostly to prevent some kind of malware, right? You don't want people basically to update, you know, to, to upload. Yeah, it could be not necessarily malicious, but you upload uh, malware or, or malicious information inside the containers also have to be able to filter this type of things. Actually, we have requirements like this where we work with some of the clients because they they want to have some kind of malware prevention uh, mechanism. So this is so this is basically the so you have to see this as infrastructure security. And this is where basically we need to be clear when we explain their technology to customers is that some customers are asking, well how different are you from uh, you know this, this that allows me to to make sure that my code doesn't have vulnerability. I say we don't we don't do we don't do any of that. So 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 this is not what we do. We actually do infrastructure security, and uh, and this, so you have to see this in a way that uh, I think the best way to say is really a BDI replacement. Yeah, I, I I get it, or at least I I think I get it. One of the questions that immediately comes up for me uh, is why. Now, now, not not why, as in why do we need to secure our infrastructure? And and I understand a little bit, at least, of of how you're you're doing that. But what are the risks that are involved? And what why why are we needing to make this change? So so I agree. I, I think I think you, so. You have to take an, an industry perspective, right? I mean, in the technology industry. Uh, you know, might not be very important or, or, or perhaps uh, anecdotal if you can do this. But if you look, if you're the finance industry, insurance industry, we have regulation, we have compliance and all things, that becomes really the name of the game, right? So it's really an, an industry play. So that's why I think, you know, we have to pick our battles and to take a, a market that I think is really can benefit from our solution. So this is really where it becomes interesting. So if you're aware of uh, kind of constraints they have, some companies have, you know, because of regulation because of compliance and so that becomes very really relevant. 
It's interesting going into the compliance area. I just got back from Australia and there's been some massive breaches uh, with large telecoms and also a bank in Australia. And everyone's at the moment taking action to think how is new regulations and new laws going to affect change and how do we need to keep up with this? So this leads me into kind of talking about what we are. Do we have the knowledge or the understanding in the industry about the risks that are associated with, you know, code sprawling, it being on developers' machines, it's being outside of control. And is this something that we need to, well, partially solve by introducing governance legislation to be able, that will kind of, that I guess will will force large organizations into this? Uh, I think this is a really, a really good debate because if you look, if you talk, ask that question to uh, bankers, like you know, financial institutions, you say, well, this is, we need to do this because otherwise we get grilled by the, the uh, you know, the, the, the CIO or the compliance, you know, or, or even compliance assessor. But then you look recently at what happens uh, uh, to some companies like Nvidia or like uh, EA or this type of stuff. There's been so many, so many like uh, breach of source code and, uh, and and why this is important because uh, what is an IT concern, right? And especially I think in certain industries, like I don't know if you if you're aware of uh, how Ubisoft and these gaming companies are working, but they're, they're completely paranoid about people looking at their source code or gain access to this, right? Because of IT perspective. But it's other industries like. Well, let's say if I see your source code, then I can see your vulnerabilities. And if there's a way for me to get access to this way to exploit these vulnerabilities, then I might actually be able to breach a system and leak your entire customer data. Right? I think this is where it becomes interesting because, uh, you know, for some time, and this is good to, to your point, is that uh, people will say, yeah, you know, we just need to have better pick out of source code than maybe develop a laptop because that's the way it is. There's no other way to do it. And the, and the finance industry, yeah, you know, there's another way, but it's very expensive, it's very heavy, and it's really annoying. It's complex, it's the VDI stuff, right? So, 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 so for the sake of like perhaps being uh, agile, like a technology company, they say, well, let's yeah, take the risk. But then recently, if you look at all the uh, uh, source code hacks that happened since the beginning of the year. Uh, we had like a laundry list because we put this in the charts when we talk, you know, to technical company. We saw them examples, and uh, and I think this is where it becomes interesting because people realize that yeah, this is actually not completely benign information. We need to protect it. That's really interesting that you bring up, you know, the the breaches that were done by by those lapsus groups. I remember following on from that when when you first hear about it, you you wonder, oh my God, how did these massive companies, you know, NVIDIA you talked about, Microsoft and, and other areas, how do these massive companies get their, their source code breached? And you're kind of expecting perhaps even state actors, and then you find out that it's a group of teenagers that are doing doing this. And then the immediate next question is, all right, how? How do these group of teenagers penetrate companies that, that you assume have great security posture? And and I, And I think they do. Um, and then I went on to their Telegram channel, and they're literally just buying access into source code, into development environments. They literally said on their Telegram channel, here's a list of companies we want to uh, breach, or at least it was kind of industries, types of companies we want to breach. 
if you work from there, contact us, we'll give you, you know, several thousand dollars if you grant us access to your development environment. So that's crazy. And, and you know, that's, that's a total change. And it just shows, uh, you know, we may trust all of our employees, uh, but it just takes one person to have a bad day to be in, in, in trouble to, to find that appealing. And when you don't have control over your development environment, you know, that becomes a risk. This kind of brings up an interesting debate, right? Because when, we, when we're generally talking about security, we're talking about preventing the bad actors from, from getting in, you know, the external threats. But now we've kind of crossed this line of internal threats where, all right, we, we have to start thinking about perhaps insiders working with, with outsiders. In your perspective, right, where are we at on, on this debate? How concerned... How restrictive should we de- be uh, when dealing with our employees as potential threats? Yeah, I, I think this is really a, a very interesting debate, and it took like an interesting shape because you know the pandemic and how people started work, and 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 that's like you know there's high turnover at some companies, there could be grudges, anything like that, you know. But but I think most importantly, uh, it's about hygiene, right? I mean. You just want to have like a governance over your process, know where your assets are. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's like being uh, uh, diligent about uh, your, uh, your money that's been trusted to you by investors and, and they say, you know, this is how we manage things. We manage our process. We, if there's a way to get more governance, more visibility, why not? Right? There's a way to, and, and again, here, this is where I'm, I'm getting at the point, the important things that we associating two things, the efficiency of containers online for being a very efficient DevOps and security. If we can do these two things, which might be conflicting at first use, like, well, you know, if you had security, it might be in the way of developers. No, actually, it's just what we did is that we showed actually these things can live together. These things they coexist and, and give you like the best of both worlds. So if you can bring some hygiene to your, to your, your, your code, it's a good thing. And, and uh, uh, you know, regarding insider threats, you know, it might, you know, might be that, yeah, it might be some people might be, uh, you know, not well intentioned, but also something the things like because we know we have relationship a lot with uh, people working in Eastern Europe, and we have lots of friends like on the side of Poland. And uh, and uh, last time I was there in Gdansk for a conference, and um, you know one of the one of the worries I heard from many people is that they had these uh, remote developers that have multiple jobs. When I say multiples, it's more than two or three. <laughs> That's not like mixing force code and stuff. So, so this is also interesting, right? That to to, uh, but I think these are like most anecdotes because I don't think it's generalized. I think it's just that they have some people that are really, you know, not pretty uh, respectful. But most most of the case, not it's not the case. But I think it's mostly about hygiene. And if you can get the best of both worlds, why not? It's oh, it's interesting to bring up um, governance there because that is definitely something. I don't see, you know, the code spaces or Git pods or coders of the world talking about. So I really, is your solution fitting into the larger security organization and the larger DevOps organization? I really, this is my personal take after doing a lot of exploration of these solutions. It seems like code spaces and Git pod, not to pick on those two, just they're the prime examples, really are things that, hey, the developers are doing that over there. That's great. They're still um, feeding code into our pipelines. They're still accessing data the same way they would have if it was on their local developer concern. Good for them. Um, This really feels like you're having a broader conversation with the org. And at least 
for me, governance isn't something that I take into my day-to-day concerns. It's No, I absolutely agree. And I think uh, one of the key points you bring in here is that whose concern is this, right? And who should be concerned by governance, right? And I've been a developer most of my life, and I love it. Actually, you know, I'm actually still developing, you know, in hiding some of my, my, my team and stuff. But I really like to, to write some code when I have time. And, and to tell you, this, this is, um, yeah, I think... I think uh, when you're a developer, it's not pretty much, you know, you want to have something comfortable, you want to have something that is fast, you know, that, uh, that you work, let be productive, let you be creative, and I think that's cool, right? I mean, this is something I don't want you to limit any of those things. But at the same time, when you become uh, a manager or become like, uh, you know, like not myself, like an entrepreneur, when you start creating a company, I think it's good to get some visibility of what's happening and governance, right? So, so it's a multi-stakeholder sale when we do this and we need to talk to multiple stakeholders and but i think it's good that uh, we always want to be a developer first solution which i think is really important because we want people to be happy and comfortable and and you know we we develop our solution with our solution right since the beginning this actually initially we thought we were developing this for ourselves right I'm not kidding. Actually, initially we said like, you know, we want to hire people abroad and stuff. Like, we should really have some kind of good mechanism and stuff. So we started with Oz and I and working on that. But we keep this for ourselves. But we just kept developing the platform. And uh, but but uh, but you know, where we can have that conversation where you know, with the CTO and the CIO and say like, this is something that kind of let you sleep at night. And, and we're not getting in the way of a security that doesn't get in the way of the developers, I think it's important. So it's really, I think, when we, we named this when I was working with uh, uh, a large company, it's like it's really a context-aware security. It's security that basically is in context, that knows the, the context, that is not something that is generic, and then for that reason can be really adapted. It doesn't get in the way of the developer. It's not even slowing down. It's actually making more happier because, for instance, uh, you know, if the developer doesn't have to manage tokens uh, himself, like uh, uh, keys and credentials, and this is all about for him. For him that's, that's really a big advantage, right? You know, you can just, because uh, frankly, myself, I hate doing SSH key gen and, and managing my private key myself is something I really don't care about doing that, right? So, so it could be accelerated work if you have something that does that for you. That's definitely one of the great hopes uh, <laughs> of the cloud environments is making security even easier. Yeah, I think it's important to have, to have these uh, platforms that enable secure development because, I mean, we're, we've just brought up uh, so many things, governance and compliance and legislation and other areas. And, like, I'm being vigil now and, you know, I'm taking notes of this conversation and, and, and getting into it. But, man, when I'm a developer, like, there's no way that I've, I've engaged in that kind of conversations right yeah uh, completely agree you know but like i got older you know i got two kids <laughs> i was like oh, i know but no not to think of I, this is really something where, where you get to the point that you say yeah i mean if i can understand i mean the first, why, why because i have people I have to report to right i have my investors you know I have my stakeholders uh, at some point you know if i need to uh, to get some some my house in order it's easier if i get some tools to do that i don't want to do it by myself so if I can some automation for that, it's good. And if it doesn't affect my job as a developer, like why, like, as you said, like, why not? Like that, right. that's, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah, they don't have to worry about, right? It's something that is transparent. And, and by the way, and by the way, for that thing, we did not invent anything because like, if you look at how GitHub is working, there's also 
a lot of things that will give you information about your process, right? When people check in, uh, they, they push, they pull, uh, they, they, they do pull requests. This is all captured somewhere in the logs of GitHub, right? So this is something also that it's, it's governance is, is not one thing. It's actually a, 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 a amalgamation of a bunch of different tools and the Git guidance, Git governance as well, right? What's happening on your process, right? So I think it's not something that, that we invented, but you know, something that can be, you know, accelerated if you have the right uh, environment. Well, well, we're wrapping up the, the conversation now, and it's been really interesting. I, I think this is probably a continued conversation. I, I think we're going to need to revisit this uh, again. But before we formally wrap up, uh, I know that Strong Network, I also know that yourself, uh, you, you're quite prolific at, at, at writing articles, at contributing to the security conversation where can the audience go to, to follow you to maybe read some of those articles and to keep in yeah. kind of keep up to date? So, 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 so we're, uh, the website is a good resource. Uh, strong.network is a good resource uh, for uh, blogs and for, uh, you know, webinars. I actually uh, wrote a series of four webinars that goes on, on to several topics and I will give them again starting, I think, uh, this month, I guess, because I give a few webinars like in the last month and a half. And we're going to do a new series now. Uh, that's one thing. Also, I have a Medium account where I, I really like to write uh, and security generally, but also what we do at Strong Network. So I, have a, I also have a, a publication just for Strong Network. So you can go to medium.com and, and look for my, for my name. That's one of the things. And, uh, yeah. and then I think perhaps one of the recent articles that I wrote, which is called the, the Virtual uh, Security Developer Laptop, uh, it's something that gives kind of a, you know, what I talked today is that I see this platform really as a way to replace this secure environment that, let's say, like if, you know, companies want to give a, a, a secure develop, laptop to developer, this is a virtual way to, to do this type of thing. So you can look at this concept here on, on my Medium blog. Yeah, that, that article's a, a great article. There's, there's actually a, an illustration in there that I, that I absolutely loved. It's a timeline of the computer evolution and it's just one of those things, like when you look on Wayback Machine, where you can look at something and, and think to yourself, oh, my God, I, I get it now. <laughs> this makes so much sense of where we've come. Mm, thank you. Thank you. And you can see it is not even long ago, right? That was 10 years ago. Think how, how, far, how far we came in 10 years, right? From like having like very, very precious like information on laptop because there was no really cloud application to everything migrated to the cloud. And the last mile there is really the developer's information, the developer's source code and data. But everything else already went to the cloud. CRM data, you know, all those things, right? Well, Salesforce did that back in 2008. People said, oh, this is crazy. Nobody's going to put their data on the cloud. CRM, you know, customer data. But guess what? Everybody's done that. Now. So it's interesting. <laughs> Well, Laurent, uh, I just want to take the opportunity one last time to thank you for coming on the Secure Repo. It's been a fascinating conversation and I, I really hope that we can revisit it again in the future. And to the audience, uh, thank you for tuning in and make sure you check out some of those articles that Laurent mentioned. Uh, they're, they're really fascinating and going to help you understand you know, where we're heading in this direction. So Laurent, thank you again and I'll see you all next time.